Woody Womack joined on this week's episode by uh, former NFL tight end George Reister, one of the seven best tight ends in Oregon history. <laughs> oh, stop, dude. Dude, that was absolutely outrageous. I was offended. I was like, I tried to pretend like I didn't care, but I did. And what it was is the University of Oregon, they put out this, they put out this well-produced video. They had a bunch of people that, you know, cover Oregon or work for the university. Uh, talking about the greatest Oregon tight ends. And it wasn't in a particular order. It was just naming guys. So I'm like, okay, cool. And mind you, I left as a junior. So I I don't get as much love as I would have had I stayed for my senior year. But still, dude, but still, they left me off the list. And I was like, uh, excuse me, excuse me. I, I didn't care at the point that I was skimming through the video. I didn't care where I was on the list. It's the fact that I was not on the list that left me offended. Well, okay. So we should say, uh, you, you said you left early. You were a third round pick or a fourth round, fourth round pick? Fourth round pick. Okay. Yep. But you played. I, I, and actually, I probably should have been even higher, but they, uh, they said I had character issues, even oh. though I had never been in trouble, got good grades, all of this stuff. But my two roommates had DUIs and they said I hung out with gang members. So <laughs> I was the second, I was one of the best players available at the end of the first round, but didn't get my name called till the beginning of the second round. But I, I'm, I'm not upset or anything. You had a lot of crossover with, uh, with Justin Peel, didn't you? Who was on the list. Yeah, Justin Pele Pele. I, I like Justin, dude. He, uh, he's the, what, the tight end coach for the Eagles now. He was a, he was like, what Kyle Brady ended up being for me in Jacksonville, where he was just a pro. Like he just did things the right way. He didn't screw up. And I got a chance to learn from a guy like, like that. He wasn't the most athletic, didn't have the best hands. He was just consistent. And that's what I learned from, from him is just, okay, if I could take what he did, combine it with my athleticism, I was in good shape. All right, so you got your Oregon tight end history lesson. George is still salty, and it's so funny because I get to tease him about it. So uh, it's really nobody cares. I, I don't. I don't. I don't care. I'm not mad. The dream come true for me personally. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, George covers a lot of. He covers all types of topics, all across uh, sports and pop culture, and maybe a little politics this time of year. But he is our resident Pac-12 expert. So George, the Pac-12 kicks off this weekend. You played for Oregon. You follow Oregon closely now. This is where we got. This is where we got to get started. Oregon is just like the runaway favorite, right, to win yeah. the conference. They should be right. What? Well, listen, there's a lot of missing talent out the window. Okay, we're talking three first round picks off of last year's team, basically. If you say Sewell and uh, Javon Herbert, yeah, Sewell, Herbert, and Holland. Right. Then you're talking two other starting DBs. Uh, so we don't even know. Do we know if their quarterback is good? Like there's a, seems to be a lot of unknowns. They have a whole new offensive line. I mean, okay. Okay. Let me, let me break this down for you, <laughs> Woody Womack. So, so here, here's what's going on with, with Oregon. Okay. If you look at a team like Utah where they lost Hunt, Huntley, Zach Moss, a uh, bunch of uh, draft picks on the, the defense, right? That's a different story than what's happening at Oregon. Because when you look at all the recruiting rankings and the, um, you know, and where, where they start gauging four and five star talent, how much is on the roster, Oregon is one of those teams that's up in the upper tier now. Like they, 
and on we'll we'll start with the defense. So they lost Javon Holland. He opted out for the NFL draft. He's probably going to be a first round draft pick, early second round draft pick. They lost Thomas Graham, who was a starting corner, but they replaced him with a guy who may have been pushing him for playing time already in Mikhail Wright. Michael Wright, Mikhail Wright, however you say his name, the kid is dynamic. Like the kid is special. They think that he is a first round type of talent at at cornerback. And then they they return their other starter starter in Diamador Lenore. They return Nick Pickett, who played a ton. And yes, they lost Brady Breeze too, but he was going to be competing for playing time as well. And they returned um, McKinley the third on the back end. Like their back end, like had the pandemic not happened and they would have been returning their whole team, they would have probably had the best secondary in the entire country. And then you look at their linebackers. They have top tier talent at the linebacker position. They recruited Noah, Noah Sewell. Um, Justin Flo, who looks like a, a superhero right now. Uh, Mesa Funa, they return Jordan Scott, who's going to be a draft pick. Falau on the defensive line, who's going to be a draft pick. And uh, Kayvon Thibodeau on the, the defensive line. So the defense should be for, formidable, right? They return um, their starting running back and CJ Gable, got some decent talent behind him. The running backs, I'm sorry, the wide receivers are a much improved group. Because if you look at what Justin Herbert had, like if you look at his success with the Chargers, his success with the Chargers is leaving people puzzled. They're like, why was why didn't we get this type of production at Oregon? Two reasons. One, Marcus Arroyo, the coordinator who's now the head coach at UNLV, he he was very average at being a office coordinator. And you had the fact that. Justin Herbert only threw to one NFL, like a guy who was drafted in the NFL, one wide receiver the whole time he was there. One player that was drafted at wide wide receiver. Not even on a roster now, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, he got drafted in the sixth round by Minnesota a couple years ago. And I don't even think he's on the practice squad right now. So, so yeah. So, (laughs) like, you combine that, their wide receivers are in better shape. But what do you need to win football games? You need quarterbacks to win football games and you need offensive lines. So their their offensive line is a rebuild, but they believe that they have a lot of talent. And if you can, you know how you can trust certain coaches to do certain things. You have to believe that Mario Cristobal will have his offensive line in good shape. He's recruited well, they have depth there. So they're not gonna have the same experience that the other people had. You know, like Shane Lemieux, you lose Panay Sewell, who's probably the best lineman to ever play at the school. Outland Trophy winner probably would probably would have won the award again. Top five pick. You, you lose that, you lose a significant piece. So the offensive line is not going to be as good because you lose Sewell. But they are going to be more athletic. And the question, though, is, like you, like I said, you need quarterbacks to win football games. That leads us to... Uh, Tyler Shuck, who's going to start on Saturday. They have two quarterbacks, Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown, who transferred from Boston College. Anthony Brown is not quite the passer because Boston College ran a totally different offense that we saw with, uh, than we saw with Jerkovic last week against Clemson. They're more, they were more run the ball, you know, quarterback run, all of that. 
So Shug's going to start. They believe that this kid is special. And, you know, he came in last year, played well, but you don't know how it is when you become the guy. So I am, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. And that's a long roundabout way to say that that's the reason why I say that Oregon is still the favorite in the Pac-12. Okay, so... Uh, so you're you're making that proclamation that he's definitely going to be the starter, not Brown. Even though I, you know, I Joe Moorhead likes to have a mobile quarterback. I mean, we've seen it time and time. Shell can, can move. I mean, he's you know he's not. I mean, he's not Michael Vick, <laughs> but he's pretty much every bit the athlete I would say that Justin Herbert is in terms of running the, the uh, football. But um, but that's not something that Cristobal likes to do. Cristobal doesn't like to run the quarterback because he's like, don't hit his body. <laughs> but <laughs> but Joe Joe Moorhead is going to at least make them honor the quarterback, make the defense actually say, hold up, we can't just ignore this guy. So, okay, if you had to pick, if, okay, if I'm picking the biggest contender to Oregon, I'd say it has to be USC. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of people are kind of forgetting uh, about how good they really are. I mean, you want to talk about wide receivers. They probably have two or three right now, uh, three NFL wide receivers. Uh, yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown, they have. Bond. Uh, right. And then they have the, the basketball player. Uh, Drake, name? Drake London. Yeah. Drake London. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and then of course they have Keaton Slovis. Now here's my issue with Slovis and you can tell me what you think. I just, Last year, and even the game against Oregon, he has too many of these games where, or, or all of a sudden, he's he's in a hole, like he's either hot or not. It seems like he's really streaky, and I think that that offense get, is not getting enough credit for what it does for a quarterback. He's a, it's an air raid system, you know. We spent all these years being like all these people, oh, the air raid, the stats are kind of fake, blah blah blah. But then he does it at USC, and he's the greatest quarterback ever. So. What do you think? I mean, do you think he's like, is, is he a first okay. round type quarterback or is it the system or is it both? I, I think it's a combination of both. I think the kid, okay. As good as he was last year, you are right. He did have some moments where he was cold and he did could get confused a couple of times, especially in the Oregon game when he threw the pick six, but overall you would say he played fantastic. But let's remember he was a true freshman too, like not a redshirt freshman. Right. This was his first time on campus. This is this was his first season taking snaps. So if you take that into account, that was a phenomenal season. And you're going to confuse a freshman with complicated defenses. Like that's just the truth. But he still looked better than JT Daniels did in terms of being not being confused because he was easily confused. Who's who's over at Georgia right uh, now? But here, here's my problem with the air raid, especially the air raid at USC. So I've talked to a number of coordinators who have played and done well, like the Cal and Washington uh, coaches who've done well against the air raid, which is what they've done down at the SEC playing against Mike Leach in terms of stopping it, which is you can't play man-to-man coverage very often. You have to play zone, make throw everything un- underneath because the air raid is predicated on spacing. So that's why when the air raid gets inside the 20, like the 25, 20 yard line, it's significantly less uh, effective because there's less space because you can't throw the ball so far over the top because there's the back of the end zone. 
And so now it becomes harder for the quarterback to throw the ball in these small windows. Timing is more important. And then the closer and closer that you get to the goal line, it's hard to score. But the reason why I hate the air raid at USC is because number one, when your linemen are used to pass blocking so much, it, it, it it's almost like a precondition. Like you're, you're used to playing basketball, but now you got to come play smash mouth because football is a game where at some point in time, you have to do what Marshawn Lynch said and just run through an MF's face, just <laughs> run over and over and over and over again. And USC, which is, is in a recruiting hotbed, they attract big time talent from across the country, especially when they're really good. The air raid is a gimmick offense. It's a gimmick offense that schools use that have inferior talent. Look at, so Mike Leach was at Washington State. You have to run something like that at Washington State to compete with the USC's because they'll just run you over. So you need something to, to do it. Texas Tech ran it because they couldn't compete with Texas. Like they can't compete with the o Oklahoma who gets the premium lineman. You have to have something to negate the other team's advantage. And if you're USC, granted, they're not recruiting offensive linemen very well right now. Part of it is because they're running the air raid. And they're saying, all right, how are you going to, well, my, my question is, if you're USC, where's your identity? Like, you're an air raid team. You can't line up and just run over people. You, you are supposed to have the better talent. You are, granted, I mean, even Alabama. Alabama lines up three, four wideouts a lot of times. A lot of times. But what do they do? They still run it down your face. <laughs> I mean, they will just run you over. And USC can't do that. And that's why as much talent as they have uh, offensively, they can't run the football, and that's going to be their Achilles heel. And then on the defensive side, they're not just their players just aren't being developed. They have a bunch of talent, but I mean, look at USC's draft picks over the last few years and look at their recruiting classes. Yeah, four or five star guys aren't getting drafted, getting drafted sixth, seventh round. That's a development issue, usually more than it is on the kid. Right. Well, you're not going to tell me. I mean, I, I forget sometimes. I'll be like, oh, yeah, Elijah Griffin, he was a five star. And it's like, I haven't heard his name. <laughs> He's actually, I think he has a chance to have a pretty good season. But even like someone like Amon Marshall, who played for four years there. Yeah. And he was like a fourth round pick, which is fine. Uh, but not what we expected. I mean, coming out. Correct. So, and they have a new staff once again. That's the other problem. Now they got, they got new guys. They have basically have the old staff from Texas coaching the defense. And yeah. Todd Orlando and those guys who got ran out of Texas. Right. So, so it's like, okay, so you couldn't, the big 12 is a scoring conference. The PAC 12 is a scoring conference. So if he can't hack it in the big 12, I mean, how are you going to hack it with even better quarterbacks in the Pac-12? Right. Like that's going to that's going to be tough. But just based on talent, we expect them probably to be the second best team or, or maybe challenge. I think they could challenge Oregon if things break. I mean, you're only talking about six games. It's not that hard to go six and yeah. zero, right? Correct. Correct. But as we've learned in the other conferences, there's nowhere to hide. Like you got to show up and play every single week. 
And the, the other team in the South, though, that I think that has a real shot, they're going to get their shot week one against USC in a 9 a.m. game. A 9 a.m. game. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal to everybody else on the other coast because our football, like if, if you're in California on Saturday, football starts for us at 9 a.m. Like that's what time everybody else kicks off is at 9 a.m. But think about the time zones. Those are like noon kickoffs or 11 a.m. kickoffs for the SEC. That's not that bad. Or even in the Big 12, not that bad. A 9 a.m. kickoff in the Pac-12, which you're going to have against Arizona State and Arizona State and USC. That means that pregame meal is at 4.45 a.m. 4.45 a.m. This sounds awful. I don't even want to think about doing that myself. I know it's a, just having to wake up, not even have to play a football game. I don't even want to think yeah. about it. Yeah, that's not even – okay, if, if somebody tells you that you have to wake up at 4.45 a.m., you're going to be like, oh, geez, right? But you have to be somewhere at 4.45 a.m. That's different. That's not 4.45 wake up. That's 4.15 wake up, which is, I mean, how do you even plan your sleep around that? Like a lot of these teams do practice early in the morning. They'll practice six or seven o'clock in the morning, some of these teams. But that's not the same thing as actually being prepared, ramped up, taped. I mean, fully mentally locked into playing, uh, you know, your first football game and it immediately having consequences, not against, you know, Sacramento State or or UTEP or, you know, or whoever at Alabama usually plays in their non-conference, you know, well, <laughs> like. For we see a lot of videos of these of these kids who are on teams who will talk about the moment you wake up in the morning and just sit there and stare at the wall for mm -hmm. five minutes and be like, is this worth it? What am I, what am I doing? <laughs> my life <laughs> that's gonna happen on saturday with the game the question is do you think it do you think it happened like does that affect the offense or defense more you expect a low scoring game or do you expect a lot of mental mistakes on defense that leads to more scoring what do you think i think okay so we've seen this in the other conferences since they've been started We've seen Big 12 scoring be up, especially the first couple of weeks. SEC scoring is through the through the roof now that they're not, you know, running the ball every first down. Now that they're actually <laughs> throwing the ball on first down, the scoring is going way up. So, and that's because the defenses haven't had enough full speed reps. They haven't seen enough. They haven't tackled enough. And the coaches can just draw, draw stuff up in, in the dirt. So I expect the offenses to, to do well, right? The only kind of caveat to that is that the offenses should make a lot of big plays and do things, but I also expect a lot of sacks too, because you uh, or tackles for loss, because you'll have some miscommunication between linemen, because neither one of these offensive lines is like has a whole lot of experience together. And then you're facing Keaton Slovis and the air raid, who should put up a lot of points. They always do. And then you have Arizona State with Jaden Daniels, who everybody fell in love with last year. Like, oh, my God, Jaden Daniels is the future. Yeah, kind of, right? How many touchdowns did he throw last year? 17, 19? Like, that's not very many. Granted, he only threw one or two picks, and that's good. But that's not going to get you wins in terms of, like, he's got to take a jump even in seven games, the six games plus the one game. Like, he needs to be at about – Seven games, 20, 21 touchdowns.
21 touchdowns. I was looking, and and he's breaking in basically an entirely new bunch of receivers. I mean, it looked like they had two true freshmen that are probably going to be starting uh, in that game. Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson's supposed to be starting. Johnny Wilson. Yeah, that's what I meant. And uh, Bunkley Shelton, who's awesome. But, I mean, you're talking about a true freshman starting their first game against USC at wide receiver. I mean – that's a huge adjustment for, for those two guys. Uh, so you think they're the third best team or you have what, what about Washington? No, 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 no. I, I think Arizona state's the second best team in the South. Oh, okay. Um, but in the uh, North, I mean, okay. Washington, the thing that Washington has best going for them is their defense. Washington's defense. They are deep. They are experienced because they played a lot of freshmen last year. And this year they're coming in. They are, uh, this is going to be a physical defense. Their defense aligned. I think they have four seniors starting. This should be a really good defense. And Washington doesn't really give up a ton of points. They give up what 30, I don't think they've given up 35 points, but like one time in the last four or five seasons. Right. That that's a good, I mean, that's when you know that you're playing really good defense. The thing about Washington is their wide receivers like Puka Nuka, some of these guys, uh, boy, Puka Nuka, however you say it. Puka Nuka, I think. It's- yeah, Puka Nuka. <laughs> yeah, so, dude, when 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 you give me too many A's, U's, and, and you know, and of a, a pandemic, not enough time to uh, research every single kid, and you're just like, okay, hold up, hold up. What, what was that? Yeah, I know he is. So, they're... Yeah. And they don't have a quarter. I mean, they're breaking in. The that's the yeah. that's the that's the issue. You don't even know who their guy is going to be. That's the that's the thing because so they have um, uh, Ethan Garbers, Sermon, or a couple other kids that when you look at their depth chart, it says or 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 or. Right. It's like you don't have a quarterback. So yeah, I'd assume okay. it's going to be Sermon. That's just just me though. I think he's been there the longest, uh, and he has the. I mean, you're talking about a big, big pro style type kid. A throwback guy in the in the '90s would have been, you know, amazing. But uh, now you kind of wonder what what is he? Can he move around enough to extend plays and stuff like that? Especially given the conference they're in, but. I worry about that. The fact that they don't have a clear cut guy, the fact that last year, some people didn't even think Eason should be the guy. Um, Eason was very average, dude. I told everybody this before the season, he came from Georgia and I'm like, how is he? I I couldn't figure out why he was still starting. First of all. And then why from, I'm like, put Justin Fields in from is super average too. I mean, the, the, but I, I'm going to digress for just a second that this is why Kirby smart can't beat um, Alabama. Why he can't dude? like he's stuck in this run and punt offense. Like dude, step into 2020, step into 2020. I know you got Todd Monk in, you're trying to do it, but the statues at quarterback, this is not the way the world is played anymore. Um, Washington's still trying to do it. They tried to do it with Chris Peterson, when they brought Eason back there, they had, you know, Brown, uh, Browning before that. Like, you keep getting these statues. Statues don't work anymore. Look at the NFL. The the last of the Mohicans, who's actually playing well, is Tom Brady. 
He's it, dude. And, and I mean, even Drew Brees is kind of eh, every now and then Ske- sketchy. Now he's older. Uh, Matt Matt Ryan can't win games. You bring a pass rush on on him, he can't get. He he just he might as well just fall down. Like you have to have some escapability, and that translates down to the college game as well. Stop if your team gets a statue at quarterback, you are doomed, dude. Yeah, Dylan Morris was the other quarterback we forgot about with Washington who people like, but I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, the guy that's, the guy's coming, you know, they have a five-star committed in Sam Heward. Um, and, and I think he could be a legacy inst- kid. Yeah. He's awesome. Though. He's a I mean, legacy kid. They did need to recruit him. No, no, he's, he looks the part. I mean, just like the um, Manning kid, he looks the part and you know, he's got the pedigree. He's been trained. He's been taught, you know, so, it should work. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if it doesn't work, something's broken. And that's where Jimmy Lake is going to, like, people have questions because anytime that you transfer a power from one coach to the next, I mean, it's essentially what Oklahoma did from Bob Stoops to, uh, to Lincoln Riley. But the difference, well, and Chris Peterson was kind of like Bob Stoops, except, except without the national championship you know, lost a bunch of big games, recruits well, people love them, but they're still looking at them with a side eye. Like, ah, man, we, we've been really good. We've recruited well, but ah, we're just not getting over the hump. And that's where Jimmy Lake is going to have a lot of questions because his recruiting class is only, what, 15 kids now. They were low on scholarships, but also – you know, they depend on so much on getting kids on campus, all of that. But the, 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 the hustlers are the people who are getting the recruits now. So like everybody's high on them as the second best team in the North, but I, I just can't sleep on Cal, dude. Like I really like Cal. Justin Wilcox um, is doing a really good job with that team. Their defense has improved ever since Sonny Dykes left and he came like, it's just been just, completely different they have um a really good quarterback in chase garbers he took a huge step last year when um he showed okay i can beat a guy when they went down in oxford and beat Ole miss you know it's a little bit controversial he still showed i can go and throw the ball then he played well they lose him they bring in devon uh devin monster he was terrible and like th- this is a good football player and cal is a well-coached team if you look at the recruiting rankings, people aren't paying attention to them, but they're building a bunch of four stars. They're still getting that three-star talent too, but they are, you know, they're building their roster. They're getting their kind of guys who fit their system, coaching them up. And, you know, they're not going to be a national championship or a Pac-12, a, a true Pac-12 threat until probably another year or two from now. But this is a good football team who can – on any given Sunday, beat anybody and end up, you know, winning the North if they can knock off Washington because that that's who they play first this week. I think uh, Cal's favored by a point, I think. So, yeah, they, this is a toss-up game. And and with between the Cal and Washington game and the USC-Arizona State game, I think you're going to learn a lot about where the conference stands just in week one. Yeah, what I like about Cal is, like you said, they're kind of riding that wave. Some some programs, you have to be like this. Iowa's like this, where every three or four years, 
when they have a good group of juniors and seniors, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're in the top 10. Now they might go six and six the next year and then seven and five yeah. and then they're climbing. It's like a roller coaster, but that's what you have to do. You, some of these teams are not going to be consistent 10 win teams every single year. And I, I think Cal is building in the right direction. You mentioned some of the injuries, but they're good coaches and Wilcox, he, he you know, he came up as a coach under Chris Peterson, like you said, at, at Boise state yeah, he learned it and they have to, they can recruit nationally. Cal does have, a, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to sign a top 15 class, but Cal has cachet, especially with parents. I mean, yeah, you, you meet a lot of parents of these kids who, okay, they're thinking about, you know, Vanderbilt, Stanford, whatever Cal, the Cal education weighs heavily for a lot of those people. And we've seen them get them before. So, um, all right. So, so, so your pick, obviously you're picking Oregon to win the conference. Yeah. Uh, now, if they would have to go seven and zero, if they go seven and zero, do you think, or or any other Pac-12 team, do you think they'll get a shot at the playoff? Is seven games enough? There are only two teams that have a shot at getting the playoffs. I think in the Pac-12, that is Oregon and USC, because those are the only two teams I think that can go seven and zero. So if if they go, so if Oregon goes seven and zero, and USC is at least five and one and they meet in the de facto Pac-12 championship. That's going to be a game that can send a team to the, to the playoffs, especially if you're the undefeated team in it, you know, if Oregon comes in five and one USC six and oh, or vice versa, then both of those teams have enough cachet and they'll pass the eye test, especially if they crush the, crush pretty much the rest of the conference. So if Oregon crushes Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and even plays a close game against Washington or vice versa, you know, if you crush the the other teams, then you're going to look the part. I mean, that's the thing that makes – that's the difference of when you look at Alabama and Clemson versus when you look at Notre Dame and Georgia. You clearly see that Notre Dame and Georgia are very talented teams. They're really good teams. But they struggle sometimes with teams. Whereas, yeah, Alabama struggled on defense against Ole Miss a little bit, but that was a matchup. And also, they couldn't be stopped on offense. They literally couldn't. I mean, dude, if you had given them 28 possessions, they would have scored 28 touchdowns. So, it, it like, that's where you have to look the part as much as you actually have to be the part too. Cause uh, Clemson as well, they look the part when Trevor Lawrence is there, they demolish people. Yes. They have some trouble in first halves, but the second halves are runaways and you don't have that with Georgia. You don't have that with Notre Dame. And I think that that's where you get into conversations about the playoff. You're like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know where let's nitpick parts of the team. And that's where name and cachet, even though it shouldn't matter, it does matter. Because when you're looking at teams and you say, okay, who can win the playoff? Who are the four best teams? It's hard to say a team that doesn't have a bunch of five-star kids on it is one of the best teams in the country. Or a ton of five or a ton of four-star kids and a couple five. Like, it's hard to say that. Or if if they don't have a bunch of kids that project as first-round draft picks. You're like, okay, yes, they're playing well, but – Ah, it's just different on the other side. Well, so I think we've got 
assuming Alabama beats Georgia again in the in the SEC championship game, they're going to be in. I do think Georgia could trip up again. I think Georgia could lose this weekend, personally. Yeah, uh, Florida to a Florida, right? Just because, like you said, the ceiling, Georgia's defense is awesome. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is Georgia's offense with Stetson Bennett, a quarterback, has a has a low ceiling. Like, it just does. Like, they're not going to put up, even against a bad defense, I don't think they're going to put up 50 points. And Florida can score on anybody. So that would make me a little nervous if I'm a Georgia fan. Is that game? Um, yeah, dude, Alabama, they, they only managed, what, 14 points against Kentucky? Right, and it was like, one if, the, if Kentucky had a better offense, they would have won. I, I remember a couple of years ago, Oregon won a game like that against Cal and the fans were just living. The Oregon fans were just living. And the, yep. the, Georgia, the Georgia fans aren't happy either. You, you, you can't be happy to know that you had Justin Fields on your roster and he's gone. Like it just, it sucks. And it, you know, if you're a fan, you're just like, you know, I remember thinking when I was a kid and there'd be a kid that, that they should have signed like an in-state kid goes somewhere else and you see him playing and you're like, why didn't we get him? You know, or someone's son or yep. something like that. And you're like, why isn't he playing for us? <laughs> so that, that part hurts for Georgia. I still think they could get to the sec championship and if everything went right, they could win a, the game. But right now no, I'm going to assume they cannot beat that. Listen, they <laughs> cannot beat Alabama. Okay. And <laughs> the reason why they cannot beat Alabama because they do not have a quarter. They can't score enough points to beat Alabama. Right. I mean, at Alabama, even without, um, e- even without Waddle, that offense does take a hit, but geez Louise, dude, like they, they literally have points all over the place. And Mac Jones is an NFL quarterback. Like I, I had to give up on the, oh, he just has so many people around him. No, <laughs> Mac Jones is a, is a real quarterback. Like stop. stop. Hey, and Jordan, Jordan, Georgia can't score, dude. They they can't. If you can stop Georgia from running the football, I mean, uh, in their in in their last week's game, their opening drive, where they run like eleven or thirteen plays, did not throw the ball one time. And I was like, okay, this is the formula. This is what they're gonna do all game. They score fourteen points. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> what are you I, doing? I saw that drive and I was like, man, they are going to smash Kentucky because yep, they're just gonna feed. They got four, three five star running backs. They're going to run it down their throat the whole game. And then for some reason they got away from, it. I didn't, I I'm with you. I didn't understand it. I thought once they scored on that first drive, I was like, cause I had picked them to cover 17 or whatever. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're running yep. away. So, so we pencil in Alabama, we pencil in Clemson. I'm, I have Clemson. I think Clemson is going to blow out Notre Dame this weekend personally. Um, even, yeah, even, even with DJ, cause as good as, I think that Notre Dame has a quarterback problem too. The Ian book is serviceable. I don't think he's special. Right. You know, and it's, and your quarterback's going to have to be special that day to beat Clemson. And I don't think Ethan, well, I, well, I'm sorry. I think Ian book can be good enough to win against Clemson tomorrow. I, I do believe that he can have a great game and win tomorrow. I don't believe that he can play well enough in enough games for them to for them to get to the playoff. You know what I mean? Like, like he's going to have a game where he's in book, where he's a little bit inaccurate throw has a couple turnovers. Like if you trade Trevor Lawrence on Notre Dame, cause they have really good skill position players. Their defense is tough. Like they got some dudes on, on defense, especially their safety. I forgot his name is number 14. I like that kid. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. 
from here in Atlanta. Um, but either way, I, I, what I think is going to would slow down Clemson is a team with a ton of athletes at wide receiver. I do. There's a lot of guys on Clemson's defense that I'm suspect of, especially the linebacker position. I'm like, sometimes I, I see guys and I'm like, who he's is no this? good in space. <laughs> You're like, just, just get somebody run a little option route off of him. It, it, it won't work. <laughs> right. I mean, but look at what Boston college did. Boston college was like, we're throwing the ball on you, Clemson. Right. Clemson could not stop them. The only thing that stopped Boston College from throwing the ball, which they continuously did, was Clemson's pass rush. They couldn't block them. If their quarterback had had more time in the second half, they would have scored more points. Right. It, yeah, so their Clemson's back end is suspect. Like, if Boston College, who doesn't have top-tier talent, is looking at them and saying, ooh, we looking our chops on these dudes. Then you know that when they get up against some some real guys, if that pass rush isn't getting home, they can be beat. Right. It's just a matter of they're not really going to see a lot of that in the ACC. So I'm penciling them in. So that's two. I'm going to pencil in Ohio State. I mean, I don't think anyone in the Big Ten can slow them down. No. You want to talk, talk about skill position guys? I mean, they got three <laughs> receivers. Like now. And they're getting ready to get more, dude. I think they're going to, they're probably going to, I mean, if you're a five-star wide receiver kid and you look at what Ohio State's wide receivers are doing in the NFL, you're like, huh, huh, I like it there. And you know, they throw the ball too. Right. You're you're happy and you're always going to play in big games. I would, yeah, I would definitely go to, I wouldn't have any problem going to Ohio State like the uh, kid at Buka who made from, from Washington, which will disappoint Husky fans that I, yeah. I mean, after what, after the way they manhandled Penn state, after what we saw from Michigan state beating Michigan. So, you know, so that whole hardball, this is his year. That feels like, you know, unless it's an epic failure by Ohio state, not happening. The only team that can, I see that can like, the only teams that beat Ohio State were when they get snake bit, like a couple years ago when they lost to Iowa, um, two years ago. Yeah. yeah, that and that per- Purdue game was weird because I always say that there are some times in life where you can't win, where like forces are against you and there's nothing that you can do. That was the same day that the game, that game day had that kid from per- Purdue on it. They did the special. The kid was sick. He came to the game. He ended up pass- passing away. But it was something like it was like a universe thing. There was like I a mean, movie. It, it was like a sports yeah, movie. Correct. It, it and it was like when Oregon, what was it, two years ago, they went up to game day. Finally, went to Pullman. Oh yeah, was, Pullman, Washington. Yeah. They they've been flying this flag on game day. Just nobody really cares, but everybody's like, "Why the hell is this Washington State flag there?" They finally get game day one time. Then they gave a what a top ten game against Oregon. And they crushed them. And you're just like, how does this happen? (laughs) I'm telling you, that's the only way Penn State loses. uh, I'm sorry, Ohio State loses a Big Ten game this year is if they have one of them games where, you know, it's a special and somebody like they have forces beyond their control. So so then it comes down to Pac-12, in my mind, at least Pac-12 against Big 12. The Big 12 champ is going to have two losses more than likely. At uh, least, yeah, at least, yeah. And 
like you said, that name brand comes into fact. So if you've got a seven and zero Oregon or USC against a eight and two, nine and two Oklahoma State or or whoever, I mean, even Oklahoma, Oklahoma State doesn't have enough cachet. Right. I, I think I think the Pac twelve team wins out. So it's possible. It's not probable. The one thing that could kill the Pac twelve is if they have to cancel a game or two, like we're seeing, like Wisconsin. Wisconsin looked awesome in that first game. Their quarter Graham Mertz looks amazing. Yeah. And now we don't know when they're gonna play again. And there's no time. Personally, I wish they would move the playoff back so everybody could get some more games in. But yep. unless the SEC has cancellations or so I just don't think it's gonna happen. So we're kind of at this weird year. The Pac-12 is at the mercy of of, of, of COVID. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so here is what I do know. The teams who believe that they have a shot, like Oregon, USC, they're wrapping these kids up in bubble wrap right now. <laughs> like they are, like they are, they're not expecting them to, I mean, well, the, the thing that helps the Pac-12 teams is their kids, aside from the Arizona schools, their kids are well their kids are not on campus so i mean well in, in terms of the it's other students class, aren't in school yeah. yeah so that lowers your risk especially when you're getting into uh regular flu season which yeah, I, I know this is going to sound silly but it didn't dawn on me at first because you know people get the flu every year they or they get colds and your mom tells you George, stop going out without a jacket. You're, you're going to catch a cold. But truth is, it's the fact that it's bad weather outside. You're indoors. Somebody else got sick, but you are indoors with other people. Who are, it's the fact that you're indoors is why you get sick. It's not just the fact that it's cold outside. Right. It's the fact that you're around other sick people in a confined area because the weather's so bad, especially, you know, in in places where you, where you got snow and you know, just the horrible weather. Well, yeah, Oregon in the wintertime is really, I mean, it's just, it's not, there's not snow most of the time, but no. it's so gray and depressing. I, I can't, maybe that's why they, that's why they legalized the cocaine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was like, I was like, okay, y'all, y'all just like, okay, look, we're not throwing people in jail for like dude they decriminalize meth heroin cocaine everything they're just like we're not throwing people in jail for this will uh if you steal something if you break in a house or something will i mean because truthfully those things don't discourage use really right <laughs> i mean if people are going to use heroin or meth they're just going to use it, it, it right. it's it's not a deterrent for them to go to jail so if you steal something, break breaking a car, you, you you go to drug court, they force you to go to rehab. You don't go to rehab, then yes, you go to jail then. But I don't I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's just because I've seen what the legalization of marijuana has done in terms of like these like states like Oregon, Colorado. There's more tax money, and also you have less like you you have eliminated or virtually eliminated the black market because it's cheaper at the stores. It's a better quality. You can trust what you're getting. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a better situation. Well, that's easy for you. Your mom's not high all the time like mine is. <laughs> okay, her little vape, <laughs> vape in Oregon. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> it's funny. Well, true. true. Yeah, true. easy true. for my, you my, my, my mom doesn't smoke that I know of. 
Yeah. Well, you don't end up named Woody. You know, my middle name is Mohandas too, after Gandhi. So you don't end up with a name like that unless you had some hippie parents in Oregon. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so uh, your mother probably has, has had some peyote too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, George, well, I'll let you go. I know uh, we, we, went, we went long. You and I always end up uh, BSing too long, but I got to come, I got to come on your podcast. So you want to give it a plug real fast? Yeah, so the podcast is Reister or Wrong. Um, you can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's actually a short. So uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, around 20 minutes, hit you with that straight fire, man. <laughs> um, and then also you guys can find me as well on Fox Sports Radio, uh, 2, to, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Sunday. So that's 5 to 8 Eastern time. And I got a big announcement coming up. New show. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. When, yeah. When, Monday, uh, Monday through Friday, it'll be a Monday through Friday show. I can't announce it yet because I'm waiting on, you know, they have to do their PR stuff and all of that, but it'll be a pretty big re release. Pretty, pretty big deal. Monday, Wednesday, Friday show solo. All right. You can bring me on to, to uh, make fun of people. That's my, my favorite thing to do is when I go on radio shows and they they call me once a year, and then they have me on. They're like, "Oh, it's our it's our good friend Woody Womack." And I'm like, oh, <laughs> "We're such good friends. You haven't called me since last year." Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I can actually say that because uh, we exchange texts when whenever something uh, happens. Where? Oh, side side note: Where the hell did that kid commit with the weirdo video? Uh, Liberty. <laughs> what? He said he had a dream or something, vision that he needed to go to Liberty, the flames. That's why he said the seven flames. <laughs> What's crazy is when you see a video like that and a kid commits to a school off the radar, you're like, oh, he wasn't a take at any of those schools. Tennessee, Colorado, even Alabama, they all had a spot for him. So he spurned them all to go to Liberty. So, <laughs> hey. Liberty's six and zero right now. Oh, my boy, Malik Willis, that quarterback is amazing. Hey, they might. Hey, they might be honest. I mean, they literally might be the new, you know, Appalachian State, Cincinnati. They're they're doing a good job. They they beat Baylor a couple years ago. This is a program that that that's on the come. So he may he may see himself, you know, do, doing something spectacular. I'm right. I'm not mad at kids for that. They got a couple of games coming up against ACC schools, and I would watch. I think the numbers are big. I mean, I think they're like a three-touchdown underdog to Virginia Tech, and I can promise you Malik Willis was committed to Virginia Tech to play DB before he flipped to Auburn to play quarterback. Then he transferred to Liberty, a little bit of revenge game. Uh, they didn't think he was yeah. a quarterback. They thought he was a DB. I can promise mm -hmm. you he's going to show them that he's a quarterback. So – Right. Well, he's a better quarterback than the than, than the one they than the one they got over there, Braxton Burmeister. Right now, I tell you that much. <laughs> he's better than Burmeister, and I'm sure you think he's better than Bo Nix, who is another quarterback. Oh, that you hate personally. Bo Nix is is okay. So Bo Nix is fine if you put him at like Virginia Tech, right? But with the, I don't know how this kid was a five star kid. I mean, he's he's Bo Nix is really really average. Well, so here's the deal. Bo Nix can like run. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know why Gus Malzahn is supposed to have this amazing offense. He doesn't. 
but I'm saying feature the kid. Okay, he had a really good game last game against LSU. But I mean, Bo Nix. Everybody has a good game versus LSU. <laughs> but Bo Nix, we were that was a year where we weren't sure who the guy was, right? And we saw Bo Nix in person several times. He came to our thing. He was running the seven on seven team. He was calling the plays for the team. He was basically coaching the team because Priest Holmes was the coach. And, uh, you know, Priest, Hall, Priest is a great guy. Oh, I, I know M- Priest. MVP or whatever, but he's not a coach. Sorry, Priest. <laughs> I told him, Bo's calling the plays. You just stand over there, look like you could still walk into the NFL and run for 100 yards a game. But Bo, he had, he had a lot of that stuff that you want. Like, I can't tell you when you're evaluating quarterbacks how much you have to factor in, like, the poise factor. And he had it, and he just – He's never really looked comfortable to me. Now he's had two offensive coordinators in two years. Chad Morris. He looks confused. Right. He, like, he, he does. So, And I think part part of it is Gus Malzahn's offense. Like, it, it's too tricky. Like, they're trying to be too tricky, dude. Just line up and play ball. None of that stuff works versus good teams. It doesn't. Like, that's why they can't, can't score. Part of it is – Bo Nix, part of it is play calling. And and their offense, their offensive line is not good at all. I mean, it's just, it's just not. They lost. Listen, when you're going to get when when the solution is we need to get a grad transfer from Akron to come play in the SEC. And then <laughs> and then I go look up the kid on Pro Football Focus and his grades are in like the 50s at Akron. That's not the solution. So he's out for yeah. the year now, but that tells you if you're in the South you're in Alabama and Auburn where you got 300 pound dudes growing on trees. Basically you got to find it. You got to find five of them that can play. You can't be going to Akron and getting guys. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just not. Yeah. Un- unless he's like projected as a first round draft pick or, right. you know, something. Right. Yeah. He's not. So, all right, George, thanks for, ha- <laughs> all thanks right, Woody. for, hang- thanks for hanging out. All right. All right.